0: I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 19. We will pick up in our series this morning looking at verses 30 through 38 and a message entitled, Is There Any Hope? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in your life where you were wondering, is there any hope for this situation I'm in? Is there just a small glimmer of hope that I know that I can take that next step? Let me share with you a moment that that happened for me. I saw my now wife for the very first time, and I thought, we should get married. I didn't say that to her. That would be creepy. But the first thing I did is I said to her, I... When are you taking me out on a date? That's not the way to start, just telling you that. I was standing beside her vehicle. She looked at me and said, Never, and drove off. Not to be deterred, though, church. Very persistent. I developed a relationship with her, talked, and, uh, and I finally said, you know, can... Can we go on a date? And she said, yes. I said, perfect. That glimmer of hope, that's all I needed. And so we had planned the date. We were going out on a Friday night to dinner, and she called. She said, hey, I'm not feeling well. (laughs) Right? I'm thinking, really? Really? She said, I'm not feeling well, we can't do that tonight. I said, okay. So the next time I saw her, I was like, "Um, hey, is there any chance we're going to go out on a date? (laughs) church, she said, I will meet you at Subway for lunch. (laughs) Subway. Subway. Not for dinner not i 'm going to come pick her up. I will meet you there. I knew at that point in time she was looking for a quick getaway. She wanted to make sure she had her own car in case this went really badly <laughs> wasn 't long after that that we were engaged, married, and it was just that little glimmer of hope you know, it 's interesting as we look at the text this morning, Genesis chapter nineteen verses thirty through thirty eight I just want to put this out there for you, and as we read through the text in just a little bit, it is going to be really, really hard to walk through this passage of Scripture and keep any type of perspective that maybe there's some hope in what's going on here, that maybe God can actually work through the dysfunction that we're going to see in the text this morning. And so what I want us to do is read through the text And then, as we do each week, we'll walk back through it together. This is what God's word says Genesis chapter 19, beginning in verse 30. Now, Lot went up from Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old and there is not a man on the earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And the next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Some of you are sitting there right now going, I didn't know that was in the Bible. I mean, the dysfunction is on so many fronts here, and we're going to unpack that together. But here's the main idea that I want to encourage you to write down that will frame our time together, and it's actually a verse from Scripture, Romans 5, verse 20, where Paul writes, Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. You know, the reality for all of us is that it is easy to sit back and to stare at a sin-stained world, the world in which we live, and to wonder, is there any hope? Can God work through the dysfunction that we see as a result of sin in this world in which we live? And Then there's also moments in our lives where we look in the mirror and have to ask the same question. Because of sin in our own lives, choosing to disobey God instead of walk in obedience to Him and the destruction that follows as a result of that, can God work through that? Can God take our mess and turn it into a message? Can God take the dysfunction? that we see in this world around us, and can he work through that even in spite of it to accomplish his plan and his purpose? And what I want to say to you this morning is that that is exactly what we see God is going to do in this dysfunctional situation that we just read about. And so this morning, as we walk back through the text, I want you to take notice of the cautionary tale that this truly is, that this offers for us a caution to recognize the deceptiveness of sin, the destruction that sin brings in our lives. There is no way around that, no way to bypass that. You see that in the text. It is clear as day. You could look at that and you say, well, pastor, I know all that, but I want us to drill down on that this morning. And then I want us to celebrate, to rejoice, that even in the midst of all of this, God is able to work and to bring about his plan and his purpose. That even in the midst of the craziness that we read about here, that we know our God is still working. So let's look, beginning in verse 30. It says Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters. So what brings them to this place? I want to catch you up to speed. Maybe you've missed the last couple of weeks. I want you to know what's going on contextually so that you know what's happening moving forward. At this point in time, Lot and his two daughters have been rescued by the angels that came into Sodom and Gomorrah and said, you need to flee from this place because God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. And you remember at the end there, they were dragging them out of the city and they were sending them off and Lot had sat back and said, I don't really know where to go from here. Can can we go to Zoar? I'm familiar with that place at least a little bit. I'd love to go there. And the angels say, you go there. We're not going to destroy the city until you are there and safe. And we saw that at the end of that, as they're fleeing, that once the destruction begins for Sodom and Gomorrah, that Lot's wife turns back. Her heart is drawn to this place of sin, this homeland that she considers part of her. And at that moment, She's turned into a pillar of salt, the Scripture tells us. So at this point in time, it's Lot and his two daughters that are fleeing. And it says that they lived in the hills because he was afraid to live in Zoar. He lived in a cave with his two daughters. It's interesting because for me, I look at this and I have to wonder... Why did Lot not go back to Abraham? Remember Abraham, the one that we have been encountering throughout the book of Genesis over the last number of chapters, Abraham that God had made promise to, that God had said he would bless, that he would make into a great nation. Remember in the early parts of that, Lot was with Abraham. Lot had heard the promises made to Abraham. Lot knew that Abraham was God's man for this moment, that he was going to use him in an incredible way. And it's interesting to me that for whatever reason, instead of running back to Abraham and saying, Abraham, remember Abraham who had prayed on behalf of Lot in the city of Sodom that God would spare it. Lot could have ran back there could have taken his two daughters there, could have put himself next to his uncle who was experiencing the favor of God. But for some reason, he chooses instead to run to the hills. And I want you to notice in verse 31, it says, the firstborn of the two daughters said to the younger, our father is old. And there is not a man on the earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our Father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our Father. What a sad situation. You're taking notes this morning. I want you to write down this first truth that we see in these first verses. Never forget the deceitfulness of sin. Never forget the deceitfulness of sin. It's just a little white lie. It's just one drink. No one will ever know. This is not going to hurt anyone else. God wants me to be happy all of those statements, seeking to justify sin. I want you to notice that at this point in time, we are seeing on display the fact that you can take Lot and his two daughters out of Sodom, but you can't take Sodom out of Lot and his two daughters. They are so saturated, By the sin in which they have lived for the last number of years, that all they know how to do in this moment is continue on in the sin. Let me offer a measure of caution to every single one of us who are sitting here this morning as believers. It's easy to look at Lot and to say, man, he's a terrible person can't believe that he would take his family into this city, that he would continue to live there. But what's interesting is the Scriptures in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, you may want to write this down. They actually refer to Lot, the Scriptures do, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God as a righteous man. That Lot is a righteous man in a pagan, God-forsaken city. And yet, we come to this passage. We've already walked through him offering his two daughters to the men who are beating on his door. We see at this point, instead of running to the place where he knew God's grace was on display with Abraham, he chose instead to run to the hills. This man who Scripture calls a righteous man is still struggling, with sin, which is instructive for you and for me if we're followers of Jesus this morning. Just because Christ lives within us doesn't deal with sin in our lives. And hear me this morning, we live in a culture that is very much like Sodom and Gomorrah in which we are swimming and breathing the air of sin all around us. Just to put this in perspective for you, I want you to just take notice of some of the statistics that we find out regarding all of us. So if you are 18 and over this morning, here's what statistics say. And you say, I don't like statistics. You probably just don't understand them. All right. Here's what they say. That the average American, 18 and older, spends four hours a day watching some type of television, movie, Netflix, whatever it may be. Four hours. Couple that with the fact that we spend, the average American, 18 and over, three and a half hours on our cell phones a day, not making phone calls or sending text messages, but consuming content that's provided to us. I don't know if you know how to add or not, but four plus three and a half equals almost eight. Which means the average American spends an eight-hour workday consuming what this culture says it wants you to consume. Which means every single day, As we turn on the TV and every single day as we pull up the apps on our smartphone, we are being discipled by the information that is coming into our minds. Every single one of us is a disciple. The question is, what are we being discipled by? And what we see here is that Lot had spent so much time in the city, his daughters had spent so much time in this sin-saturated culture in which they lived that it was simply pouring out of them. My mom used to say it like this, garbage in, garbage out. Let me issue you simply a caution. It's one that reading through those statistics and thinking about that, that I issued to myself as well. Be on guard about the content that is coming into your mind. Here's what's really scary, that for the generation under 18, those numbers almost double meaning that our teenagers and even down into elementary age kids are consuming content consistently that is discipling them. Now, put this in perspective. Let's say you are plugged in at North River Church. Let's say you're here every single week. One hour a week versus eight hours a day. One hour a week versus eight hours a day. Ask yourself the simple question, what is that going to do to you? We look at Lot and we say, I would not want to be like him. And the reality is if we're not careful, we find ourselves exactly where he is. Consuming content, consuming worldview, consuming, all of this, that our culture is pressing in on us. You say, okay, how then as a follower of Jesus can I combat that? Well, one, can I just simply say, make church a priority for you and for your family. Make it a priority. Statistics tell us at this point in time, if you come twice a month, you're considered consistent. Can you imagine if you kissed your spouse twice a month? That's it? You'd be considered consistent? How'd that relationship work out? Not very well. Make church a priority for you and for your family. Make it a priority for your kids. Make it a priority for your teenagers, that they are plugged in to the life of North River Church, that there are people that are pouring their lives into them as they are constantly being poured into by the world. Personally, if you're a follower of Jesus, make sure that you are spending time in God's Word. Hear me this morning, if you watch news more than you read your Bible, you know what's going to end up happening Some of y'all are like, whoa, pastor, you went hard in the paint there, didn't you? You're going to be discipled by whatever news station you watched and not by God. So what's going to happen? And that's what we see happening for Lot and for his two daughters here. There's evidence, Scripture says, that Lot's a righteous man. What we don't hear is anything about his two daughters. I have very very much suspect that they had no relationship with God whatsoever. And it says that they devised this plan. It's the firstborn said to the younger, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make our father drink wine. We're going to lie with him so that we can have children from our father. And so what we see take place in verse 32 moving forward is that's exactly what they do. They get their father drunk. They both sleep with him on two different nights. I mean, you read that and you're like, that's what you would see in the tabloids. I mean, that's something that you would see that you wouldn't talk about. And yet what you recognize and see is it is simply the outworking of how they have been trained. They are simply doing what they have seen. They are simply responding to what they have taken in for years and years and years. And you look at that and it's absolutely heartbreaking to recognize and see that something like that could take place. But I want you to hear me this morning, church, beware of the deceitfulness of sin in your life. To think that it will not have an impact on you as you continue to swim in the sea of a sin-stained world. If you are not combating that with the truth of God's Word and the promises of His Word and couple that with relationships with other believers that you are investing your life in and they're investing their life into you, if we are not intentional about that, I guarantee you it will not be very long. We will find ourselves in the same position as Lot, not necessarily these circumstances, but find ourselves in a position where we just simply do what the world says to do. And I want to encourage you this morning, do not let that be what your life is characterized by. Certainly there's forgiveness of sin. Certainly... We recognize that all of our sins were forgiven when Jesus Christ died on the cross, but for us as followers of Jesus, we should be pursuing righteousness. Think about that. Flip the script for just a second with Lot. What if in that moment, as he is running for his life out of the city of Sodom, he sat back and said, how can I pursue righteousness from this point forward? For myself and for my family. But at that point in time, that's not even on his radar. We end up in the hills with his two daughters taking advantage of him. Notice that for them, they were deceived by sin, thinking that this was not a big deal, They had encountered it so much in the city of Sodom. They looked at this. It wasn't that big of a deal. In fact, it could have been swirling in their minds. Our dad offered us up to the crowd, and it wasn't a big deal to him. And yet what we see here is sin's deceitfulness. It's not going to hurt anybody. God's not fulfilling his end of the bargain. We're never going to have children, therefore... We can do this, and there's no consequences. It's a sad position for them to find themselves in. I want you to notice the second truth, though. Never forget the destruction that sin brings. We see them do exactly what they said they were going to do. Both daughters end up, in verse 36, pregnant by their father. It says in verse 37, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab, and he's the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ammi. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. You know, it's interesting when you look at this action that the two daughters took, you look at these two sons that were born to him, and you fast forward throughout the pages of Scripture, specifically in the Old Testament, what you realize and understand is that the two groups of people, the Moabites and the Ammonites, who came from these two sons, their lineage were the greatest enemies of God's people throughout the Old Testament. They were a pagan people who worshiped false gods. They were a people who at every turn were seeking to oppose God's people and God's plan and God's purpose. You look at this situation, you say, well, man, it was just those two and their father. And yet what you realize is that the destruction because of sin is long-lasting we are tempted to think in our minds that this is not going to hurt anybody. This is not that big of a deal. It's just one little white lie, and yet the reality of the situation is that sin costs every single time. To walk in disobedience with God, to not pursue God's righteousness and God's ways will cost every single time. You may be here this morning, and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you want to know, what will sin cost me? Ultimately, it will be separation from God for all eternity. eternal punishment in hell, separated from God, that is the ultimate result of sin in our lives if we do not trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. And I want to encourage you this morning, if that's where you sit, to recognize and understand that the grace of God is available to you this morning. But what about believers? What about if you are already a follower of Jesus? What about destruction of sin in your life? What does that look like? You may be sitting here incredibly uncomfortable right now because you are living through it at this moment. The destruction because of choices that you've made destruction because of things that you are now having to deal with because of those choices. I've shared this story with you before. When I was a student pastor, had had one of our teenager's dads who was the warden of the state prison, and he invited me to come and to walk the grounds with him and to speak with some of the inmates who were there to ask some questions and to talk with them, and one of the guys that I had the opportunity to talk with was about 25 years old at that point, and at 17, he was sitting in the driver's seat of a vehicle that two of his friends went into a convenience store and robbed the convenience store at gunpoint, ended up shooting the person who was working in the convenience store, and all of a sudden, he found himself in a situation where he was in for life. had the opportunity to talk with him, and he said, Pastor, I was going to church. I was in the youth group at my church. I never thought I'd end up where I'm sitting right now. Sin brings destruction. So then how do we respond? If you are sitting here this morning as a follower of Jesus and there is sin in your life that is unconfessed, take this opportunity to confess your sin to the Lord. You may be sitting here this morning and you say, Pastor, it it is going to cost me something. It's going to cost me a conversation with my wife that I really don't want to have to have. It's going to cost me a conversation with my kids. It's going to cost me potentially something that I have to deal with at a legal level. Do not allow this moment to pass you by without dealing with sin. Dealing with sin in your life, if you do not deal with it, it will bring destruction. You look and you wonder, Where's the hope in this passage of Scripture? Where's the hope when you read through a story of drunkenness and incest and these two sons who were born who ultimately will become the greatest enemies of God's people throughout the Old Testament? Where's, where's the hope? How does God work through something like that to bring about His plan and His purpose? I want you to write down this third truth. Never forget the grace of God in the face of sin. Never forget the grace of God in the face of sin. You know what's interesting is when you fast forward through the Old Testament, you come to the book of Ruth, one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. I don't have time to unpack the entire story for you, but just the concise version is this lady named Ruth is, guess what? A Moabite. And what we find out through the story of Ruth is that instead of continuing to pursue the false gods in her land, she instead turns to the one true God worships him. This woman who was from the Moabites, this pagan people, recognizes and sees that there is one true God. You fast forward through the story of Ruth and she marries a man by the name of Boaz. She is brought into the family of God as a result of her faith in the Lord, as a result of this marriage with Boaz. And then you fast forward through the pages of Scripture and you get to Matthew chapter 1, which is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. His lineage, where it began and where it ultimately ended with here. And guess what? In verse 5 of Matthew chapter 1, write this down, go back and read it. Verse 5 of Matthew chapter 1, guess who is found in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? This lady named Ruth. You could read Genesis chapter 19 verses 30 through 38 and walk away incredibly depressed and look at that and go, man, what a tragic situation. And it definitely was. You could walk away and go, I just don't see how God could work through that. And yet, what we recognize and understand is that God does work through that. God works through our sin. God works through the sin-filled world in which we live to bring about His plan and His purpose. And even here, where it seems so bleak and so dark and so dysfunctional, we have the hope of a God who works even through that. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Would you this morning experience the grace of God in your life? Would you bow your heads with me as our worship team makes their way back up? We're going to have an opportunity to respond to the Lord this morning and briefly at the end we've have a family in our church who's asked for us to come alongside them and lift up their granddaughter in prayer this morning, and we want to do that as well. But you may be here today, and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, never experiencing the forgiveness of sin in your life. The path that you are on in this moment is to destruction. And yet there's hope today. Hope through Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection. Hope for your sins to be forgiven, for you to be brought into the family of God. Would you take that step today? If you're a follower of Jesus already here this morning, and yet there's sin in your life that needs to be confessed, needs to be dealt with, Would you take this as God's call to take it seriously, to deal with that? Receive the grace that's already been purchased for you from what Jesus Christ has done. Father, we ask that you work in us this morning and through us God, that you would bring conviction. And God, that you would remind us of the great hope that we have. That even when it seems bleak and dark, and we don't know how you could work, that God, you are at work. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? respond this morning as the Lord leads.